Father, we thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Oh, we're so thankful for his ministry, Lord. It's the greatest ministry. He's the greatest comforter. He's the greatest teacher on the planet. And Lord, we thank you that he is here this day to enlighten the word of God to us in a way that we've not seen. Father, I specifically pray that you speak through my lips to minister to these, your people today, Father. And we open our hearts up to receive revelation from Jesus, from the Holy Ghost. Thank you for bringing comfort and peace. We speak peace over every person here today, Father. In Jesus' wonderful name, and all that agreed said, amen. Uh, CDs from uh, last couple of services are back there. You can pick them up afterwards, as we always say. Or you can just go on our website and download them free of charge. Be a blessing to you. And uh, as I always say, we like to, ch I believe as we pray and God gives us direction and wisdom about the type of things that we're supposed to share, it's pertinent to what we're dealing with right now. Amen. Uh, I guarantee you that the things that we'll hear today will be pertinent to what maybe you're dealing with right now, presently. Okay. Now we've been talking for several weeks, actually five weeks. This will be the fifth week. We've been talking about the subject, reaching your maximum potential. There's different principles that I've had on my heart to share, how to reach your maximum potential as a believer. And I've really enjoyed sharing some of these things. And we've talked thus far in, in quick review right here, uh, just to make mention of this, we talked about the first way to reach your maximum potential is to ask God for daily wisdom. How many of you have been asking God for wisdom, amen, on a regular basis? Can continue to do that. Matter of fact, don't even stop. Just continue to do that until Jesus comes back. Amen. And the second thing we talked about is, is to recognize the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. To realize uh, the fact that we talked about how that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. When God moved in you through the person of the Holy Spirit, He's there to stay. Amen. In fact, uh, He's not going to leave you. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Glory to God. Now, where people miss it sometimes, and we've all been there, is that we go, we base these facts on feelings rather than what the Word of God has to say. Now, sometimes you get up in the morning, you don't literally feel God's presence, right? All right? For the most part, most of us don't. You feel, uh, it's just, you know what I mean? But the fact of the matter is, is your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And when you acknowledge that, and, and I say that on a regular basis, that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God lives on the inside of me. And just recognizing that, acknowledging that, just like if I was to acknowledge one of you this morning, I would call your name out, all the attention would be on you. Okay, you understand that? If I acknowledge you. Well, that's how we, we do it with the Holy Spirit. We acknowledge Him that He has a place in our life on a daily basis. Praise God. And I mean, he goes with you everywhere you go. Everywhere you go. You go down to the store, the local store, he's with you. You take a walk, he's with you. You go to work, he's with you. Aren't you glad he doesn't pack up and leave and then come and go? <laughs> he's, he's there to stay, praise God. Uh, the third thing we talked about for the last two weeks, actually, took two weeks to talk about this, is to see yourself as God sees you, okay? Looking at the scriptures that talk about who you are in Christ, and, and we gave you some of those scriptures. I believe there's... A couple of those papers left back there. If you didn't get one or if you want another one, they're on the back counter back there. And it's just some scriptures, not an exhaustive list, but a, maybe 30 scriptures that talk about who you are in Christ. 
things that you can acknowledge and confess out loud about yourself, that that's who you are in Christ. It's really important to see yourself as God sees you. Now here's what I want to talk about today in the time left that we have. This is the fourth principle about reaching your maximum potential. Are you ready for this? Number four, if you're taking notes, is to keep fear out of your life. Keep fear out of your life. Now, I didn't say, I noticed I didn't say control your fears. Okay? No, we need to kick it out. <laughs> Get rid of it. Amen? Amen. And uh, was it one of the presidents? I can't remember if it was Kennedy or one of those presidents said the only, the only thing we need to fear is fear itself. Amen? Well, you don't even need to be afraid of fear. Okay? Because fear, we're going to see here in a second, is not from God. It's from the enemy. But we're going to look at Isaiah 41.10, which I really like this scripture. Oh, my goodness. Are you ready? Isaiah 41.10. This kind of sums it up in a nutshell. Okay? Now, when I say fear, keep fear out of your life, I'm also talking about worry. Okay? Because worry, even though it's spelled differently than fear, it's still fear-based. Okay? When you worry about anything, it's fear-based. Now, he says here in Isaiah 41.10, Fear thou not. Now, why not? God says, For I am with you. I am with thee. Or we'd say, I am with you. When he says, God says this. God Actually, God said this. He said, through Isaiah, he says, Fear thou not. Why? Because I'm with you. Amen? Boy, is that powerful or what? Don't be afraid, if we paraphrase that, we'd say, don't be afraid, God says, because I'm with you. I'm with you. Amen? Now, that's something I've, I've, I've endeavored to practice for many, many years now. I, know I lost track, to be honest with you, but it, it goes back as far as I can remember. And I, I, I like to say this to myself. This is part of meditation. Okay? The Bible talks about meditating on the Word of God, you know what I'm saying? And part of meditation is not just pondering and thinking, but speaking, muttering, saying out, outside, out of your mouth. Amen? And I'll say, I refuse, like this is one of the phrases I'll say on a regular basis, I'll say, I refuse to be afraid. Why? Because God is with me. And I'll make it real personal. I'll say, I refuse to be afraid because God is with Brother Keith. <laughs> so I know that's talking about me. I refuse to be afraid because God is with me. 36,000 uh, uh, feet, not miles, but 36,000 feet up in the air in an airplane. And you're cruising, you're looking down, all of a sudden the thought comes to you, what if this plane goes down? Okay? First of all, where did that, that thought come from? Satan. Satan. Came from the devil. So, you know, you say, you say to yourself, wait a minute, this plane's not going down because God is with me. God is with me and God is in me and I'll let us pass over to the other side. That's what Jesus said to the disciples when they got in the boat and a big storm came. He said, let us pass over to the other side. Remember that? Well, something happened between the one side of the shore and the, and the next side of the shore because as they left, Jesus made this statement. Remember that in the Gospels? He says, to his 12 disciples... He said, let us pass over to the other side. I was reading that one time, and it suddenly dawned on me. 
that that's the same phraseology that you read in Genesis where it says, let us make man in our image. Now, us is poor, right? And it's the, the Hebrew word Elohim, which means Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Elohim, all right? And when God said, let us make man in our image, it's the Hebrew word Elohim, which is the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when Jesus said, let us pass over to the other side of the lake. Now, he just made a declaration. We're going from this side to the next side of the lake. Okay? He didn't say, let's try to go to the other side of the lake. He said, let us pass over to the other side. Now, I say that when I get on an airplane, and I'll touch the airplane as we're walking down the runway there. You're on that little thing they put out there, you know, to, what do they call that thing? You know, you get, you get on the plane with it, you know what I'm saying? And I'll put my hand on the plane. I said, let us pass over to the other side. And, of course, I pray before that, too, you know what I'm saying? And so I get on there. I can relax. I don't have to have white knuckles and grip the seat in front of me because of fear. Okay? Whether it's a car, whether it's a plane or a train. <laughs> right? Because if God's with you, you're going to make it to the other side. Hallelujah. I remember one time I was flying to Colorado years ago and I meant to uh, be part of a ministry's, a ministry's conference that they asked me to be a part of years ago. This was in the early 90s. And we took off from, we flew from Dulles Airport, which is in Washington, D.C. And, uh, and we got out to, towards out Nebraska and Kansas, out in that area. And also, we hit these turbulence, man. I'm telling you, it was like, it were like BBs in a shoebox just bouncing around on that plane. Just, doosh, doosh, you know what I mean? And people were freaking out. You know what I'm saying? And uh, seatbelts were on and all this kind of stuff. I just kicked back in my seat and I said, thank you, Lord Jesus, you're with me. We're going to the other side. I refuse to worry about this. And we got there safely, obviously. Okay? So, uh, you know, fear can come up. Fear can have a, a way of, we'll get into this in just a second here, but remember Jesus said this. We got into the boat with his disciples. He said, let us pass over to the other side. How many remember him saying that? Now, what happened? They got in the boat. They start to paddle out. Jesus went to the back of the boat and fell asleep on a pillow. I don't know if it's my pillow or what the deal but he went in the back of the boat, fell asleep. And then it says a great storm arose while the disciples were rowing the boat to the other side. Except Jesus is asleep on a pillow back there. And the scripture says that the waves began to beat into the boat. In other words, water started coming into the boat. And the disciples were shrieking for fear. They became afraid. To the point where they went over and they shook Jesus and they woke him up. He says, Master... This is the King James. They said, Carest thou not that we perish? Remember that? They woke them up. They woke Jesus up. Man, they're toiling, they're laboring, they're sweating it out there in fear, you know. And notice what they said. They said, Don't you care that we're about to sink and go? In other words, we're about to die. They were questioning whether he cared for them or not. But what did Jesus do? He stood up and went, And he said to the storm, it was a great storm. He says, he said with his mouth, peace, be still. And there was a great calm, the Bible says. Now, that says there was a great storm, but then there's a great calm. Well, that would apply to a lot of people right now, wouldn't it? 
and those down in, off of Florida, right? A great st Notice that Jesus didn't pray to God, said, Oh Lord, please do something about this storm. He spoke to the wind and the waves. And the Bible says immediately there was a great calm. Everything calmed down. The birds started singing again. <laughs> and and the, the disciples were like, What kind of guy is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? You know? And Jesus upbraided them for their fear and unbelief. Think about that. He didn't say, guys, I understand. It's, it's okay. Don't worry about it. He, he didn't say that. He, he said, where is your faith? Now, that'll make some people upset when you say that, where is your faith sometimes. You know, the, the truth of the matter is, is when we're facing adversity, we've got to locate what we're, where's our belief system? <laughs> what are, who are we believing in? What are we believing in? Okay? Basically, Jesus was saying to them, you could have done the same thing because I told you from the... When we got in the boat, he says, let us pass over to the other side. He didn't say, now again, I want to repeat. He didn't say, let's try to do this. There are some modern translations of the Bible that are paraphrases and they're not scriptural. And they'll say, let's try to have faith. Try to do this. No, Jesus said, have faith in God. He said, have faith in God. All right. So any, any of the disciples literally could have stood up and, and, and spoke to the wind and the waves. Now, waves. And here's what's interesting. Jesus used his word to show us how we are to function and we are to operate. We see in the Bible, and I'm not, I don't have the time to go through all the examples, where, where Jesus not only spoke to storms, but he spoke to limbs to grow out. He spoke to fevers. Peter's mother-in-law. And it says the fever left her. Do fevers have ears? Well, they must be able to hear because he spoke the word and the fever left. Okay? Jesus operated in a dominion that literally you and he was showing us, you and me, how we are to function, how we are to operate in this life. And that is the power and the dominion of our words. Okay? Do you, ever, you remember that statement when you were a young kid? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words cannot hurt me. Am I the only person that's heard that growing up? You know? Okay, that's not true. Because words are powerful. And there's, believe me, and I've talked to some people that had words spoken to them 35, 40, some 50 years ago that were hurtful, harmful, destructive words. And it still, to this day, haunted those people because of negative words that were spoken over them. We have to know how to uproot those negative things because sometimes well-meaning people, maybe they were under influence of some drug or alcohol or something and they said something that was very hurtful, okay? I mean, uh, believe me, I had, some, I had some relatives and I mean, all they did was drink and party. You know what I'm saying? Both, both of my grandfathers, they're in heaven now, praise God, but I'll tell you what, you talk about partiers. I mean, every time they get together is a reason. Let's have some alcohol, Right? Shots and beers. and I mean, every time we got together, you know, and I'll tell you, sometimes it turned into like some fist fights to some, well, some of my relatives, you know. And I grew up around this stuff. I got to watch some of this stuff. Okay? And so people get under the influence of this kind of thing, you know. It's funny because before my dad, before he received the Lord, you know, I mean, every, almost every night he was at the bars. Every single night. If you wanted to find my dad... 
praise God, he got saved, he was transformed, he was delivered, now he's in heaven, you know. But when we were growing up, he would take, you know, Friday night my mother was working, he would go shopping, and he would take us down to Harriet's Bar and Grill <laughs> on Salmo Run Boulevard. Anybody remember that place? Harriet's Bar and Grill. And my, my dad would take my sister and I, and she's a couple years younger than me, and he would take us in the back room, you know, and we'd, we would play pool and drink Cokes and stuff like that, you know, whatever. You know, he just kind of threw us back there while they're out there drinking and so forth. And then we would see people coming in, and I mean, just get hammered. I mean, it makes an impression on you as a little kid. You know what I'm saying? It makes you not want to have anything to do with that. You know what I'm saying? But... What I'm trying to say is sometimes people can say things that have power behind them, words behind them, but you can make those things null and void. Okay? You can break the power of those things. Amen? Now, if it's, it works in the negative realm, it also works in the positive realm. Death and life, the Bible says in Proverbs, are in the power of the tongue. Death and life. Not just death, death and life. Not just life, but life and death are in the power of God, no. In the power of the devil, no. In the power of the tongue. I'll say death and life are in the power of my tongue. Okay. Now, the whole world is programmed completely negative. You know that. The world is in a negative down... You know, that's just the way it is. And if you saw somebody, you know... In a parking lot, for example, and their car wasn't starting, okay, and then they got out of their car and was, they were ticked off at the car, and they said, "You blankety blank, blank, blank," you know, started cursing the car. You know, most people would think he's having a rough day. That's okay, I understand. And he's talking to the car. He's actually cursing the car, right? Now. That's mainstream world, right? That's the way it is in the world. You don't think twice about it, right? What if that same person got up and said, I bless this car in the name of Jesus. They think he's loony. Take him to get a paddy wagon and take him to the hospital. No insult, Patty, right? I'd want that kind of paddy wagon. <laughs> Amen. But here's the, here's the thing. You, you wouldn't think twice about it. Most people, if they spoke negative about their, themselves or their car or their vehicle, but if they flip-flopped that and they started talking positive, they would think, what's wrong with him? It's not what's wrong with him. It's what's right. It's understanding the power of words. When Jesus, think about this, when the children would come to Jesus, the disciples, I remember one occasion, they, were, they thought he was too busy and too important to spend time with the children. Remember that? And, and, and they were trying to hurry him along and so forth. Remember that? And, and Jesus said, hey, suffer the little children to come to In other words, allow them to come to me, for, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so they backed off. The disciples said, okay, okay, all right, we get it. And, the, and Jesus was so loving and so winsome that even little kids were attracted to him. He wasn't stone-faced religion. You know what I mean? Like, God's going to get you. Do you think any kids would be attracted to that? Jesus was exemplifying the true nature of the Father. People were drawn to Him. 
The love that was in him is so, and still is, is so powerful that it, it's like a magnet that just, just pulls you in. And that's one thing I know. I've studied this for many years now about people that have gone to heaven and come back. Out-of-body experiences where they died on an operating table and they went to heaven and came back. And, and every single one of those people, and they're all different people that I've, I've studied and through these years, and it's fascinating to me, said that the love that they experienced, the love that Jesus had towards them was like they were the only person that ever existed. You can't even, it's like liquid love. You can't even describe how much God accepts you, how much God loves you, and how much He embraces you. And it literally changes people's lives when they go there and they come back. Okay? I wish I had time to show you some videos this morning, but I mean, there's a lot of things on, on YouTube. And you know it's authentic, you know it's genuine, because these people, though some of them were saved, they really weren't serving God. You know what I mean? Yeah, they, they went down gave their hearts to the Lord at one point in their lives, but they really weren't serving the Lord, but they were saved. But as far as their lifestyle, it didn't change. They were still the same. You know, you know what I'm trying to say? But they said when they had that encounter with God, with Jesus, the love that they experienced at that moment was so powerful, when they came back to the earth, it totally revolutionized the way they thought about life. Amen? The transforming power of the love of God. Because, you know, all of us, to be honest with you, we grew up around, I, I grew up around religious circles, you know, and it was just, it didn't, it didn't represent God at all the way I, I, I felt that He was. You know what I mean? But when you really get a clear picture of who God is and what He's like and what He is and how He sees you, you'll never want to not serve Him. I never woke, I never ever wake up on any given day of my life and say, this isn't worth it. I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I don't know if I want to serve it. I'm like Peter. He says, Lord, Jesus said, are you going to leave me too? And Peter said, Lord, you have the words of life. And when you taste and see of his goodness and his love for you, you don't even think about backsliding, going and turning your back on God. Because why? Because his love for you just draws you in. If someone loves you that much, would you want to walk away from them? Of course not. Are you with me? So, getting back to that situation in the boat. I'll come over here and preach to these folks here for a minute. Amen. When uh, they woke Jesus up, they said, Don't you care that we're about to die? We're about to perish? Now, the carnal mind will want to say that. Lord, you really don't care. Why, you know, if you, if you really cared for me, then why am I going through this? Amen. Now, you have to understand... The devil is still the devil. He's always been the devil. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy in John 10.10. 10. His primary purpose in life is to steal, to kill. Number one, steal, kill, and to destroy. So anything that steals, anything that kills, anything that destroys, like this hurricane, you think God's behind that? That's demonic. Okay? It's of the devil. If it steals and it kills and it robs from people. So it's easy, the dividing line in the Bible is John 10.10. He said, the thief cometh not, that's the devil, cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But then Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Oh yeah. How many want the abundant life? Glory to God. Amen. Well, Jesus they were, the disciples were afraid. He said, let us pass over to the other side. 
Jesus had to deal with their fear because they were afraid they were going to die. Amen? Now in Isaiah 41.10, let's read this again. Now we're talking about reaching your maximum potential. Point number four is this. Keep fear out of your life. Now I want to show you in a really practical manner today, the time left that we have, and we'll have communion at the end of the service, like I said. I want to show you some practical things that you can do to not control fear, but to get rid of fear. Okay? How would you like to know that? So Isaiah 41.10, Fear God says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. That's the first reason we don't have to fear. Be not dismayed or confused, for I am thy God. I will, God says, I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. Man, that's a truckload right there, isn't it? An 18-wheeler just pulled up and unloaded a bunch of good stuff right here, right? Hallelujah. Fear thou not. Why? God says, I'm with you. Say, I refuse, I refuse to be afraid because God is with me. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord Jesus. That is so powerful. Now, let's go over to the New Testament here real quickly, if you would. In 2 Timothy chapter 1. And let's take a look at these few couple of verses right here in Timothy. Now, I've said this before, but let me just review just a little bit here. Refresh your memory in this area. How many of you know there's two books? To, there's 1 Timothy and there's 2 Timothy. Okay? 1 Timothy, Timothy was a young pastor, probably about 19 years of age. He was a convert of the Apostle Paul, got saved under his ministry, and Paul called him my son in the faith. So he was handpicked and hand trained by the Apostle Paul, and then he became a pastor of a large, growing church. This is the infant stages of the church in Jerusalem at the very beginning, way back upstream where it all started, the first part of the church. And so Timothy had questions about deacons and elders and, you know, and, and older women, younger women older men, younger men, how to treat people, and all these different questions. And Paul, in response to his questions, wrote a letter in 1 Timothy, and you can read about that, okay? And, uh, and so he, he addresses some of those things and so forth, the practical wisdom in 1 Timothy. But then you come over to 2 Timothy, and it's like the bottom of the barrel just fell out. It's like, every, it's like all hell broke loose. What is going on? Okay? Well, here's, the, here's what happened is there was a great persecution that came against the, uh, the early church. And there was a Roman emperor by the name of Nero. Okay? Everybody heard that name before? He was a Roman emperor and he was demon-possessed. He was as evil as evil could be. He was one of the worst emperors that Rome ever had. The, the Roman Empire was an evil, evil empire. How many of you know that? And I mean, they did so much destruction and hatred and killing people. And I mean, it was just, they were dominant and control people and kill people, you know, just totally of the devil. And so, so Nero came in there and he, and here's, I'm kind of setting the, the, some little bit of church history, but Nero began to blame all the problems of that part of the world on the Christians. Amen? It's, it's kind of like people today, you know, people stub their toe and who do they blame? Trump. Now, I'm not trying to be political, but it's so easy to play the 
You know what I'm saying? To blame somebody else. And so Nero began to blame other people, namely Christians. And so he began to do things and invent evil things. Do you know the first sliding board was not where your kids slide down. At the bottom of that sliding board, I'm not trying to be gross here, there was a big filleted knife down there. He would fillet people in half. He would send them down, oil the slide, send them down, fillet them in half. Christians. Okay? He would burn people at the stake. He would torture Christians. He was a very evil, wicked person. Needless to say, at when he was in authority there in that part of the country in Jerusalem, aren't you glad we don't live in a place like that right now? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad for our freedoms? The blood that people shed for this country that we can have freedoms in this country. It's disgusting to see people start to mock our country and our heritage and so forth. You know what I'm saying? And there was a lot of blood shed for our freedoms in this country, you know. And uh, so anyway, people began to defect because of fear. They began to depart Timothy's church and leave and pack their bags and just leave and get out, okay. So with that thought in mind, let's read 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. It kind of helps to know the background of a book as you read it, all right. So what's going on in the community at that time? What's going on in, that, in their culture? So Nero was, in, was doing this kind of stuff. So in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, we'll start there. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I thank my God whom I serve for my forefathers with a pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of you in my prayers night and day. He's telling them I'm praying for you. That's good to know. Let people know, look, I'm praying for you. Amen. I had somebody this morning text me and said, I'm praying for you. Amen. I thought, praise the Lord. Amen. He says, uh, Verse 3, I, I thank God whom I serve with my forefathers with a pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers day and night, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears that I might be filled with joy. Okay? Notice that Timothy is in tears. Verse 5, when I call to remembrance the genuine or unfeigned faith which is in you, Timothy, which dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, I am persuaded that it is in thee also. Now notice that Paul, I'm sorry, Timothy had a grandmother and a mother that were godly. It says nothing about his dad. We know that he was a Greek, but it says nothing, there's no mention about his father here. But Paul knows, I knew your grandmother, I knew your mama. <laughs> and he says right here, verse 6, Wherefore I put you in remembrance that you stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of hands. For God, verse 7, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Wow, there's a lot in that scripture, isn't there? Now, I've said this verse thousands, countless times, countless times. And I say, I meditate. When I say it, I say, for God hath not given me, Keith Eggert, the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So we know, first and foremost, where does fear come from? From the devil, right? God has not given us a spirit of fear. Where does fear come from? The devil. 
Okay? Fear comes from the devil. Well, how do you know? How do you know when the devil is talking to you? Does he appear to you in a red suit and horns, pitchfork and horns? No. Because if he did, it would be easy to say, ah, there's the devil, I resist you. Okay? Because you see him, you're like, get out, Mac. <laughs> right? But he's more subtle than that. The Bible says he's more subtle than any beast. He slithers through the grass, so to speak, in the form of a thought or an imagination. Okay? That's why 2 Corinthians 10 talks about we are to cast down imaginations and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. In other words, anything that's against God's Word, we've got to pull it down, we've got to cast it down. Amen? So this is important for us to understand this. As believers, you're going to feel fear sometimes. You're going to have thoughts of fear, thoughts of doubt. Okay? I mean, right? You're going to have, maybe even today, when you got up this morning, you had some kind of fear of something come against you. You're like, oh, man, you know. But you, you weeded through it and you got into this service. Whether, whether it was easy or hard, you got here. Amen. Hallelujah. And you, you, you realize that thoughts are the devil's main arsenal. Okay? Now, people don't know that. For example, and this is an extreme case, people say, well, you know, so-and-so, they're suicidal. Nobody is suicidal. They have thoughts that haven't been cast down. That's what that is. Okay? Every, every person probably at some point had a thought, why don't you end your life? You know, you'll be better off. Right? I have. Okay? One time I was praying, getting ready for a service. <laughs> Years ago in my first church. And I pulled up next to a lake sitting in my car, turned the car off, had my, my Bible, my notebook, I'm preparing a message, you know, just praying in the Spirit. And I had this thought come to me. And I, I say, say, say this so you can understand. Now here I am, born again, Spirit-filled, speak with tongues, believe God, okay? And a thought came to me, why don't you start your car up, put it in drive, and drive right into the lake. Okay? Now, I didn't stop and go, oh my God. I must be suicidal because I knew enough to say, ha, ha, ha. You talk about intimidating the devil, laugh at him. You want to laugh at your enemies? I don't really intimidate them. Okay? Now, I'm just I'm showing you how to deal with this kind of stuff because, I mean, I love life. I love my family. I love life. I love the church. I love the ministry. I love doing what I'm doing. Okay? Yet, I had this thought come to me. But if somebody got that thought that didn't understand the spirit realm and how Satan operates and how he functions, they might think, oh my God, I'm dealing with this. Maybe I need to go to a shrink. Maybe I need to get some help here. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm having these kind of thoughts. Listen, just because you have a thought doesn't mean it's your thought. Just because you have a bad thought. All of us have bad thoughts from time to time. That doesn't mean it's your thought. Is this helping anybody? Hallelujah. So what do you do when something like that comes along? Laugh. Amen. So I opened my mouth. You know what I did? I said, ha, 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 devil, you liar. I love life. He said, well, pastor, what happened after that? It left. 
and joy came right into my car. Praise the Lord. Now that's, that's, you know, I wanted to share that because sometimes you'll just be going along and all of a sudden, wham, you'll get hit with a bad negative thought, you know. And, and we, need to, we need to address those things. We need to not just ignore them. We need to address them head on. Say, no, you don't. That thought is not my thought. You might get a thought about hurting somebody, standing there talking to someone. Amen. I've been there. Sometimes I'd be standing there talking to somebody and the thought will come to you, just slap them in the face right now. <laughs> well, sometimes I wanted to. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and you're like, what is it? Just push that person down. You know, well, wait, wait a second here. That's not me. That's not my thought. Okay? But the devil's stupid enough to try to put those kind of thoughts in people's minds. If they can act on those thoughts, then they're going to act out what the devil's trying to put on the inside of them. Okay? Now, let's turn the coin around. Let's turn the dog around, okay, so to speak. All right? God can talk to you by putting positive thoughts in your mind. We don't want to just dwell on the negative, but he can put a good thought in your mind. Those are the thoughts. You embrace them and you go with it. Okay? You can be going along. And I mean, it's so subtle sometimes. And the thought will come to you, give so-and-so a phone call. You know, you don't even know exactly why, but you just feel, okay, well, I'll just act on that and I'll give them a phone call and I'll talk to them. And, and all of a sudden, first step leads to second step and third. And all of a sudden, you've encouraged that person. You had, you had no idea what was going on. All you had was the first step. Give that person a call. Are you with me? Now, we know that God can do spectacular things. Fireworks. We know that He can do those kind of things. And those are spectacular, but yet God is still supernatural. He's just as supernatural as He is spectacular. And the, the, I would say that the everyday way that God deals with us is is not necessarily spectacular, but it's supernatural. A small, still voice. An impression to do something. To help somebody. To pray. Sometimes I've had impressions just uh, take some time and pray right now. And that's one of the beautiful things about the Holy Ghost is when you pray in tongues and pray in the Spirit is that God is actually giving you a language. Even though you don't understand it, you're actually praying in tongues, in the Spirit, and you're actually praying a heavenly language, and it belongs to every single believer. I'm telling you, it's for every believer, if you want it, okay? And it, and it gives you the ability to pray the perfect will of God, but yet you don't even know what you pray, but God understands because He gave you the language. Now, I've been in airports and places before where I've heard people speaking in a foreign tongue, and I didn't understand a blasted thing they were saying. I was with, I remember one time we were at another place out of state, you know, and there was Chinese people talking. And they were going a thousand miles an hour talking with each other. And they were, they were shaking their heads. They knew exactly what they were saying. But if you asked me, I didn't understand anything that was going on. Now, I would never say, just because I don't understand what you're saying, that's not a real language. I wouldn't do that. I know that's a real language. I just don't understand it. Okay. Now, God says this in 1 Corinthians 14, that when, you're, when you speak with tongues, you're not speaking unto men, you're speaking unto God. He understands it. Okay? Is that right? Can you handle this this morning? And it's a supernatural way of communicating with God. I know uh, I was talking 
with somebody the other day, and I began to re reflect on the, it was in 1979 when I got baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I was working in a paper mill at the time. Just got out of high school working at a paper mill. And, uh, and I went to a revival service during the midweek, you know, and, and uh, didn't plan on it, but I got baptized with the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, I mean, whew, my goodness. I wasn't even asking for it. I just got, I got hit like a freight train, you know. But I felt so good. I never felt so good in my life. I got, started speaking in tongues. It was wonderful. Now, the Lord's not going to make you do something weird and strange and you're in a grocery line somewhere and all of a sudden you just know you lose control and you start speaking in tongues. That's not God. You understand that? You have control over that. You understand? And, uh, but I remember I would, I would take, we had these little 10 minute breaks that we'd take so often. I would go into the, the back room where all the boxes were and the, the uh, supplies and so forth or the restroom back there and I would go back there and just spend a little time praying in the Spirit. I just got baptized with the Spirit. And as I was doing that, I was thinking, oh my goodness, what a miracle. You know, that's kind of like you. If all of a sudden, right now, you're able to speak some fluent language you never learned instantly. Would you say that's a miracle? Okay. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, Though we speak with tongues of men and of angels and have not love, we become a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. There's tongues of men. There's tongues of angels. And when you're, you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, and I didn't even plan on talking about this this morning, it's a supernatural means of communicating with God. And it's a continual reminder because every time I speak, I speak in tongues every day of my life, all the time. I speak in tongues when I'm laying in my bed. Paul the Apostle said, I thank my God I speak in tongues more than you all in the whole Corinthian church. Because he knew it was a supernatural means of edification. That's why the devil fights it tooth and toenail to try to keep people out of that. It's a supernatural means of communicating with God. Spirit channel, okay? You're on that channel. Amen? Now, the only thing that qualifies you to be baptized with the Holy Spirit is knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's the only qualification. You don't have to go to Bible school to get this. You don't have to, like... Be saved for 25 years and then you qualify. If you're born again, that's all that matters, okay? And you qualify to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Now, why is that so important? Because it keeps you aware of God's presence. You're like, there's no way I could speak in that language on my own. Amen? Now, you've heard this phrase before. I heard a guy talk about this. He said, you've heard this phrase in religious circles. People say, tongues are of the devil. And this guy, he came out of some, he came out of some horrible stuff in the world. He goes, man, he goes, he goes I about broke every one of the Ten Commandments. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He goes, I had a lifestyle of sin and corruption. He goes, let me tell you something. Of, of all that sin and corruption, he goes, you never heard me speak with tongues. If tongues were of the devil, he says, then I would have done that too. Okay? He says, but after I got born again, baptized with the Holy Spirit, he goes, I got something I never had in the world before, you know? But it's, it's a marvelous thing. Because every time I speak, I'm depending on the Lord for the next syllable, the next word. Amen? 
i robo cristeggi lema retucuta, vicele porra macate esse siela caia. Amen? And here's the interpretation of that. When you open your mouth and you begin to speak in that heavenly language that I've given you, saith the Lord, the rivers of God begin to flow. And in that flow, you will know. When you stay in that flow, you will know. The question mark will be removed, and you will now have divine insight and divine wisdom as to what step you need to take. So enter in and receive this language, saith the Lord. Amen? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Just bubbled right, right up out of me as I said. I didn't know what I was going to say. I really didn't know. But it's so spontaneous that I don't even know what I'm going to say because it's right off the cuff. And see, when you speak with other tongues and you pray in the Spirit, you're on Spirit Channel. And if you're on that channel, the Lord can bring other things in English that you understand right then and there. You get the interpretation or the, the meaning of that, the revelation of that. The Apostle Paul said this. He goes, to the, now, the church at Corinth abused this. They would, they would all start speaking in tongues while the preacher's preaching, and, and that's, that's out of order. Okay? Interrupting people and that kind of... And that's why you read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Paul talked about the proper ways to operate in the manifestations of the gift of tongues, interpretation of tongues. There's a proper way. There's an order. Okay? But we're talking about your devotional, your personal devotional to the Lord. Now, I pray that you're open. Maybe you were raised in a church and a denomination that preached against it or looked down upon it. Don't close your mind. Keep your mind open. Keep your heart open because God is trying to get something good to you. Okay? Ah, where am I here? Praise God. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. For God... There we are, 1 Timothy 1, 2 Timothy 1, 7. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound, controlled mind. Your mind has the ability to imagine things. God can put things in your mind, or an enemy can put thoughts in your mind of something negative, and we need to tear that thing down. Now, how do you resist fear? That's what I want to talk about in the remaining time before we take communion here. How do you resist fear? Three answers. Words, words, words. Okay? In James chapter 4, let's go over there real quickly here. In the book of James chapter 4, picking up in verse 6, James chapter 4 and verse 6. The scripture says here, He giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Notice that? He gives grace to the humble. Submit, verse 7. I love this. Submit yourselves therefore to God or his word. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil. Say resist. Okay? Now, everybody here knows what it's like to resist something. Okay? Have you ever resisted people before? <laughs> we won't get into that, but, you know, <laughs> for whatever reason. You know what it's like to resist because we do it all the time, right? 
Praise God. There's certain programs you should resist watching. <laughs> There's a lot of channels, but I'll tell you what, a lot of them are trash. And I mean, you got to resist that. Say, no, I'm not, I'm not going to put that stuff in my eyes and put it in my ears. I'm not going to watch that stuff. You know, you, you, you see people meditate on these things where there's shows that are filled with adultery and fornication and, and lasciviousness and, and like it becomes, they see it so often that it seems like it's just a way of life, like it's normal. But we need to put a stop to that stuff and say, oh, no, 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 that's not going to go in my eyes. That's not going to go in my ears. I'm not going to let that. How many of you think there are certain things that through the years you've seen or heard you wish you would have never seen or heard? And to this day, you still have to say, no, 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 I cast that thing down, right? Because the enemy likes to throw it in front of you. I mean, just, just blatantly, you know what I'm saying? But here's what I'm going to say. In regard to fear, how do, how do you come against fear when it, when it comes against you? Resist it with the Word. Now, you can't fight thoughts with thoughts. You have to fight thoughts with words, Okay? Here's an illustration. Well, you've used this before. Let's count from 1 to 10 in your mind, okay? In your mind. Ready? Go. Now say your name out loud. Some of you did it. Some of you didn't. Now what happened, what happened to your... I got this from Brother Copeland. What happened to your counting? It stopped. Because your mouth has authority over your mind. Your mouth has authority over your mind. Okay? So here's how, here's how you resist fear or worry when it tries to come against you. Say, fear, I resist you in the name of Jesus. Now get out. Well, pastor, what if I don't feel anything? Don't walk by your feelings, okay? The Bible says if you submit to God, that's the word, and you resist Him, He will flee from you. Kind of interesting, the word flee right there in the Greek means to run as if in terror. Picture the devil running from you like he's terrified, he's afraid. Whew. Lighten up the carpet, man, getting away from you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, when you resist the devil, you don't just resist him, you resist him with the word of God. That's what Jesus did. He said, it is written. It is written. It is written. Now this is so important we do this because for every fear that man has, God has a promise. For every fear that man has, mankind has, God has a promise to meet that need, whatever it is. Okay? God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, just write this down here. We won't turn to this because of time here. But in Job 3.25, you know Job went through some stuff, didn't he? You know, you find Job's name back in the book of Genesis. He's one of the early, earliest books. One of the oldest books in the Bible. Job did not have a revelation of the spirit realm of devils and demons. But he made a statement in Job 3.25 because it looked like a whole can of worms was opened up against him and things happening you know, to his family, to his livestock, to his property. All kind of hell broke loose. And Job said this because God further revealed to him later what, was, what the deal was there. In Job 3.25, 
He says, the thing that I greatly feared has come upon me. And that which I was afraid of has come unto me. Now Job would make, what happened is, is that he had some sons, you know, and he was afraid that they were going to backslide. He was operating in fear, and so every single day he would make sacrifices for them. He would make sacrifices to the Lord for his sons. It says, thus Job did continually. Now what Job did wasn't bad, it's just the, the spirit, the, the motive behind it was he was afraid. He said that, he didn't say the thing I feared, he said the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and that which I was afraid of has come unto me. Fear will attract things to you like blood attracts sharks in the water. Okay? That's the only mode of operation that the devil has is fear because, it, you know, if there's, there's no fear, he can't get a grip on you. I mean, he can try, but he can't touch you. He can't touch me. Fear, you've been delivered from the bondage of fear. I have not been given the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. You know what makes you afraid more than anything else. I don't have to ask each person here, but what is it that you're afraid of? Face that thing head on. Don't run from it. Be like David who ran towards Goliath with a stone and sling in his hand. It didn't say he tiptoed towards the giant. He ran at the Goliath, 11 foot tall, almost 12 foot tall giant. Amen? I'm sure he felt fear, but he ran towards Goliath. And you know the rest of the story, right? Amen. Cut the giant's head off. Amen. <laughs> and then all the Philistines were like, oh my God. He goes, they've killed our giant, our, 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 our master here, you know, their champion. And they all took off running. All the Philistines. Amen. Glory be to God. So you resist fear with words and you just say things. Now I don't wait. Here's the thing. I don't wait to become afraid before I start speaking this. I'll do it. I'll proact instead of react. It's better to just be a good offense instead of a defense all the time, right? So you wake up in the sunshine, the birds are singing, everything's good, you've got money in the bank, everything's just great, you know? Like, hallelujah, what a great day this is. That's the time to stand up and say, fear you listen to me. I resist you today. You get out of here in Jesus' name. But there's no sign of it right then and there. That's the best place to be. As you proact instead of react and you say, no, fear, you have no place. Now, fears are, can be very subtle sometimes. They can come in the form of a failed relationship or something. You know, some type of fear. Past failures can create future fears where you start to color your world because fear is now making choices in your life. And we don't want to be in that place. Okay, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Just one more scripture here. Turn to Psalm 34. I can see real clearly right now that we're not finished with this this week. We're going to have to pick up again next week. But that's all right. We'll just hook right back up next week like a train. Amen. We'll just hook right back up where we left off. And I'll leave you with this scripture and then our ushers can get ready here in a second here. In verse 34, it's chapter 34 and verse 1, David said this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Notice his attitude. My soul, that's his mind, will, and emotions, shall make her boast in the Lord and the humble will hear thereof and be glad. 
Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let's exalt His name together. Now notice this. I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me from half of my fears. <laughs> now there's the key right there. I sought the Lord. What happens when you see God? He says, uh, He heard me. And secondly, He delivered me from all of my fears. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Do you know that even today, for example, that you're, you're coming to church this morning is a result that's part of seeking God? It is. It's, that's part of your walk with God. Is your church life is really important. How many of you know that? Some people treat it like, eh, take it or leave it. No, God says you've got you to stay plugged. Amen. Forsake not the assembling of ourselves together in Hebrews chapter 10, right? And that's part of your seeking God. And so, technically speaking, when you come to church, when we come together, um, we're seeking God, and as a result, He's going to deliver us from, from our fears. Amen? Have any of you come to church before in the past, prior to today, and you left more peaceful than when you first came in? Anybody here? Okay. I have too, and I've been, I'm preaching it to myself. You know, I'm, see, I'm, I, get, I get the benefits of it too because I'm preaching it and it's coming right back to me as well. And sometimes you might come in heavy or some kind of a fear or phobia that deal, you're dealing with, you know. But all of a sudden, you're seeking God. You're hearing the Word. You're hearing the Word under the anointing of God in a church service. That's the difference. It's not just the Word. It's the anointing in the Word that breaks the yoke of bondage. Hallelujah. And you hear that, that anointed word and it lifts you up. It lifts that burden and all of a sudden you're like, mm, yeah, we can do this. We can, I, can, I can overcome this thing. 